Thanks for listening and welcome to the CoachMaze.com podcast, where high school basketball coaches can turn to find that one takeaway to add to their already successful programs. Like you, I'm a high school coach, so let me know on Twitter at Coach J. Mays what your takeaway from today's talk was. Hello, this is Jason Mays of the CoachMays.com podcast. Today's guest is Chris Gaither, head boys basketball coach at Martha Lane Collins High School in Shelbyville, Kentucky. Chris coached last year's Mr. Basketball in the state of Kentucky. Davion McKnight, who's at Western Kentucky University. He also had a, another player uh, who signed with Samford University down in Birmingham, Alabama. Chris's teams have won three of the last five eighth region championships in Kentucky, advancing to the uh, state tournament in Rupp Arena. I think you're really going to enjoy Chris's talk about developing the youth programs. I think you're going to enjoy his, his talks about uh, his calendar and what they do throughout the year. And it's interesting to hear him talk about the challenges of his job because when he took over this job, it was a brand new high school um, without any tradition because the school had never existed before. And I really hadn't thought about the challenges that that would present. Uh, so it was interesting to hear him talk about his journey in those regards. You're going to enjoy this. Without further ado, Christopher Gaither. Hey, Hoopheads. We appreciate you listening to this episode of the CoachMaze.com podcast. Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, and our two latest shows, Players Court with Joseph Harris, and Bleachers and Boards with Matt Collier and Marlon Guild. We also have three team-focused NBA pods, Cavaliers Central, Nuck If You Buck, and Grizz and Grind. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game from grassroots to the NBA. Coaches, I am more than happy, more than thrilled to introduce our guest, Chris Gaither. The reason why I am more than happy and more than thrilled is because Chris is a very dear friend of mine. Um, I'd say years ago I used to call him like a little brother, but now he's, he's like a brother. Um, Chris played basketball at Temple University uh, for the great John Chaney and then uh, transferred to Georgetown College where I was an assistant coach and uh, had, a, had a good career for us uh, at Georgetown. Um, we were competing every year for NAI national championships uh, with Chris as one of our point guards. And I love Chris because of how he lives his life. Um, I love Chris's family. Um, you know, he's more than just basketball. And um, so see what see what happened right there, Chris? My phone wasn't on silent, and so I'm going to start again. <laughs> Hang on one second. Okay. All right, Mike, we're going to cut at 145. Coaches, I am really happy to introduce our guest, Chris Gaither. Chris has been a longtime friend of mine. Um I was fortunate enough to coach Chris in college. Uh, he started out uh, with a, after a phenomenal high school career at Grayson County High School in, in Litchfield, Kentucky. Signed with Temple University, played for the great John Chaney 
and uh, decided to come back home and transfer to Georgetown College where I was an assistant coach. We worked really hard recruiting Chris, and um, I'm glad that we, we had him. And he had a really good career. He made some lifelong relationships with his teammates that um, he played with at Georgetown. And just ever since then, we've remained really close. Um, Chris is more than basketball. I love his family. I love how he raises his kids and his relationship with his wife. And that transcends down to his relationships with his players. Uh, Chris loves coaching high school basketball. And he's a little bit in a different situation because he came into a new school that was newly built. And so he's going to share some of those uh, experiences with us. Um, So hopefully you find your takeaway today. So, Chris, welcome to the podcast, man. Coach, thanks for having me. I've been blessed to have you in my life in a lot of different uh, ways uh, as a coach and now as a mentor and uh, someone that we um, we can bounce a lot of ideas off of as, as high school coaches. Yeah, we text a lot, not only during the season, but, you know, during the year. And um, we are trying to get together to work on a few things. Um, but uh, we haven't played each other. I think that's fortunate for our program. <laughs> but you've had some really good players. But, man, it's just uh, you're one of the best in the state right now. You're a shining star. And, um, you know, we won't mention names or anything like that because that's not the point. But, I mean, you've been the target of a lot of athletic directors here in recent years when their jobs have been open. And um, you sort of love the gig that you got right now at Martha Lane Collins High School. Um, and uh, you're loyal to those kids and that that community and your family's set in stone there right now and just doing a lot of good things the right way. So let's start right there. Tell us about Martha Lane Collins High School, otherwise known as Collins High School. Yeah, so we are in our 11th year as a high school, um, brand new school that, that split uh, off between with Shelby County High School. Uh, who's been very successful in the history of high school basketball in the state of Kentucky and athletics. Um, Our school was named after the first female governor of Kentucky, Martha Lane Collins, uh, who is from Shelbyville. You know, we have about 1,200 students, uh, a little little bit less than 1,200 students. uh, And, you know, Shelbyville is just a remarkable location. You know, we're, we're really close to Louisville. We're, we're close to Frankfurt and Lexington. It just makes it makes our area and, and where our school is located um, just a great place. You know, we're we're a very diverse school with demographics, both racially and economically. Um, and, but you know, I think I think just like any any coach at the high school level would want. You know, we have great kids, we have a great community, and we have a great staff at our high school. And so for me, it's just been an incredible work environment uh, to be at Collins High School. Yeah. Now, you weren't the first coach there, were you, Chris? No, Curtis Turley uh, was the first head coach, and he, he spent one year at Collins. And then did you replace him? I did, yes. He took a job He took a job at Western Kentucky uh, for the women's program. And then uh, I was fortunate enough, uh, Anthony Hatchell, who was the principal at the time, uh, hired me as the head coach. So you just finished your 10th season? Yes, sir. All right. All right. Man, time flies. I remember visiting you. I think I don't even think the grass seed was sown on, was the, on that campus and uh, came, came to visit you. Um, and it seems like that was yesterday. Um, what are the challenges 
um, Chris, of uh, taking over. Just well, you know, what are the, you, your brand new building? Everything's new. You know, your gym, your facility is spotless. Locker room. You're the you're the first. Well, other than the one year before you got there, you're the first team to use all use everything. I mean, your ball racks are still shiny. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good that comes with that, but what are some of the challenges of, of starting a program from scratch at a brand new high school? You know, building a program is challenging whether you're a new school or not. Um, but, but for us, um, for us, some of the challenges came um, a lot of us. How are we going to utilize these things uh, across the state? And I think, I think a challenge for us. Um, in our school that we've embraced is we've brought a lot of people in our building to showcase our facilities, to showcase our students. You know, we, we host a huge robotics competition uh, at our school. We, we host huge summer tournament events for basketball. And so, so for us, we, we want, we want that wow factor to take place. And what happens is we've, we've brought a lot of people in and they talk about how nice our facilities are or how nice our events are. And our kids hear that. Our kids hear that and embrace that and see the investment that our staff makes in hosting those things. And it, it makes our kids eager to invest that time back into us and to, to remain loyal to us. Um, you know, the other challenges that we face as a high school uh, coaching staff a lot of it boils down to attendance and and time. You know, attendance, uh, trying to get trying to get better crowds at games um, f- for a new program was, was a huge challenge. There's no uh, tradition, is there? There's no tradition. You know, there there was no alumni. So uh, so our our athletic directors, uh, our staff, uh, a lot a lot of investment in. How do we grow attendance? And and we've had a lot of people that have have taken on responsibilities to do that. You know, we started a Junior Titans program three years ago uh, in our community. And, you know, one of my favorite pictures of this year's season was at the at the end of the regional championship when we had won it. Davion McKnight, who is our Mr. Basketball, he um, he was surrounded by a group of junior Titans on the floor all wearing their jerseys. Uh, and so that, that was an incredible challenge is how, how do we build attendance? And it, it's things like um, creating a, a junior program. Um, for, for us, that, that, was, that was huge, huge success in, in growing our attendance. And then we had, um, you know, our athletic directors came up with the creative ways of before Shelby County High School became a high school, there were, other high schools here like Shelbyville High School and Shelbyville High School would actually be considered Collins High School of today and so we've done things like honored their alumni and 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 tried to bring them in uh historically kind of as as our new alumni um you know and and other things that uh, like theme nights that our athletic directors have have taken ownership in 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 bringing uh kids to more games and, and growing our attendance. Yeah. You know, that's something I hadn't really thought about is take, you know, taking over a program. I know I've never experienced that, but taking over a program that doesn't have any 
tradition. And I, and I don't mean that in a negative connotation. It doesn't have any tradition because the school never existed. <laughs> you yeah. know, you know, when at Georgetown, uh, you know, the college uh, that you and I both graduated from is one of the oldest liberal arts colleges in the country. And the basketball tradition, I mean, one of the first games that the University of Kentucky ever played in basketball was against Georgetown College in the early 1900s. Um, so there was definitely tradition there at Georgetown. Then I coached at uh, Valdosta State. And um, the tradition was somewhat newer there because they didn't start the program until the, the 50s, uh, but steeped in tradition, uh, not only in basketball, but in football. And then uh, I go to Kentucky Wesleyan. You want to talk about tradition? I mean, the winningest program in Division Two history, eight national championships, um, uh, and so everywhere I've been. Now I'm at Ashland as a high school coach, and you know we're, we're the uh, we've been in the state tournament more times than any team in Kentucky, and we're the first team to reach two thousand wins in the state. I've never been in your situation. I've always been sort of in situations that had a lot of tradition, and so it's interesting that you talk about that because. As, although it's the experience is new, and a lot of those new experiences we have in life, whether it's in basketball or just in general, are often cool because we're experiencing it for the first time. But we often take for granted uh, not having previous experiences and a pathway to guide us from previous coaches and previous teams. Um, and that, that's interesting. You know, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, so you know, that there was a tremendous challenge. Value. There is value, though, in, in that in that history, uh, you know, and I've learned a lot because I've been a part of those programs, you know, before our school split, I was at Shelby County for two years. And I remember I remember when I knew I was going to Collins to be an assistant coach. My last time leaving Shelby County High School's gym, I sat in there by myself for like 40 minutes and I looked up at the banners, you know, and, and you, you usually look at people's banners when you go into the gyms, especially teams that have had a lot of success. You know, you go to Kentucky, you go to Georgetown, and you see, man, look at look at everything they've won. You know, but for some reason, during that moment, I was sitting there, I looked up the banners, and I started thinking about the relationship aspect of like, well, I wonder who was all a part of that team. And then I wondered about the parents, and I wondered about the coaches and everybody that had influenced them and had a part of that success and, and how, how the community embraced that. And, you know, you, when you look up at historic programs, there's a lot of people that were involved in that and a lot of people that made an impact and it's more than just a banner, you know, it's more than a 1990 championship or a 1980 Mr. Basketball. You know, there was a lot of um, connections that, took place in, in in that journey well you mentioned the word journey i'd like to you know learn a little bit more about um your journey at collins let's go back and let's start with you building um your youth league here in ashland we call it the aybl ashland youth basketball league and chris it is so important and i i am so fortunate here because i tell people everything is linear here it's vertical there's um, five elementary schools. Each elementary, each um, AYBL team represents their school. So third grade at Hager Elementary, fourth grade at Pogue Elementary, for example. Okay. Um, so there's there's rivalries. 
um, among the elementary schools. There, it, it flows into one middle school, which flows into one high school. So, you know, it's it's really cool that, you know, from from a head coaching standpoint at the high school, you sort of get to cultivate all those young talents. And whether they, they end up being high school basketball players or not, you know, you, you can still reach them as far as being ambassadors for your basketball program, um, whether, whether they continue to play or not. So I think that's a great place to start. So how did that come about and how do you – how do you organize that? Um, how does that function today? Yeah, so we we've had to we've had to kind of go off of a a different model. You know, Shelbyville. You know, we have seven elementary schools here in in Shelby County, and then and then we just opened up our third middle school last year. But when we first started our Junior Titans program, you know, it was important for me to do something that was manageable, um, and to create an environment where kids are playing high competition. So, so the first two years, the first two years, we just hosted tryouts and did third, fourth and fifth grade teams. And then we entered leagues uh, in Louisville at Mid-America. But last year was our first year that we, uh, we took our junior Titans program and we connected with other surrounding uh, schools in our region. So we created the Eighth Region Youth League last year, and uh, a part of that was developing a a program for the Shelby County team and the Junior Rockets. So last year, I think we had eight teams per grade level uh, for uh, the Eighth Region Youth League, and we had teams from Odom County come down, Grant County came, and we would we would host games uh, in our facility and at Shelby County's facility. Um, on Sundays. And so, so building that, building that was a challenge, um, just figuring out the best way to do that, uh, and to give kids a great experience. Uh, I, I love the way you're doing that in Ashland. And I, I would like to see us do that with our elementary schools here. Uh, but obviously that would have to be ran by somebody else to make it manageable. Now, do you have an, a nonprofit board that runs that or is, how, how, do, how do you organize that? It, we have a nonprofit uh, organization, uh, but I run it all right now. Uh, the goal, the goal would be to probably get a board to take that over. Um, I, I run the youth league and did all the scheduling, all the hosting for the games and, Hopefully, in the future, we can we can separate uh, and delegate some of those responsibilities. Yeah, out to that's others. a lot of work for you. Yeah, because I also coach like two of the teams. So it's um, because <laughs> you got you got nineteen kids. Yeah, <laughs> but I but I enjoy it. You know, those those are the things that. How many boys do you got, Chris? Three or four? I have three kids. Three kids, three boys, yeah. right? Yes, sir. Yeah, so you're coaching. So that that's that's good. I mean. That's that's what we would call grassroots basketball. You know, I think AAU is try, tries to steal the term grassroots basketball, but grassroots basketball is when you're a second grader playing in your hometown. For you know, Mister Smith lives lives two streets away. That's volunteering his time to you know teach you how to dribble with your left hand. That's grassroots basketball, and um, what you're doing there is going to pay huge dividends if it hasn't already started to pay huge dividends already. So. It has. It, it, it has, especially with the community building, you know, and I, I'll be honest with you, too, that the involvement of my high school players has been 
really important for that program. Well, what do they you know? What do they do on a on a Sunday? What do they do at those games? Well, so like my high school, my high school players aren't involved on Sunday. We have a Sunday waiver policy in Shelby County where your high school athletes aren't aren't allowed to practice or anything like that. So, but but they are allowed to coach, and so I have my high I have some high school athletes that coach the Junior Titans teams, and honestly. The, the most rewarding and successful teams we've had any given year were the ones where that high school player took ownership and embraced the coaching, you know, because the kids fall in love with it. And then they, then you hear those kids in games, we want Bailey, we want, are, are just cheering for their, for their coach who has now become their favorite player. Um, and so you hear that in the stands um, you know, whether that kid's a sophomore or a junior, whether he's a starter or he comes off the bench, you know, you those kids embrace whoever their coach is and are at games cheering for him. Yeah. Chris, transitioning uh, more about your journey as a, a head high school coach there at Collins, um, what are some other remarkable points along the way that you've had to navigate um, to get it to where it is now, to get your program where it is now? You know, I think, I think for us, you know, this could, this could have easily been a stepping stone um, type job. Um, you know, there's a lot of those at the high school level. You know, you, you take one job to, to make a stepping stone to another, but we didn't want that. We, uh, we wanted to build a program that was recognizable across the state. You know, Shelby County High School had that, you know, where Shelby County High School was a top five job in the state. You have that at Ashland. You know, Ashland's a top five job in the state without a doubt. And that's what I wanted Collins to be. I thought we had the the athletes. I thought we had the talent. And as a, as a coach, if you could build that, you know, you were in a central location in the state of Kentucky, where um, a lot of people will will come and play you. A lot of people will enter your events, and so I really felt like that this could be that job. But but it took a lot of hard work. Uh, it, took, it took a lot of dedication, and it took some loyalty. You know, uh, we've gone through four or five different principals as a as a eleven year school. We're entering our eleventh year, and so you know we we've gone through a lot of different athletic directors. In, in our short span and so to be able to to be able to stay loyal and understand that like so, sometimes people are going to enter this as a stepping stone but what we have at Collins is special uh, and this community in Shelbyville is special that that was probably my why like I loved everything about Collins I loved everything about Shelbyville that it made you want to embrace the dedication and the work it took to build it. All right. Chris, did you have to lose with your team before you could win with them? You know, I, I think at, I think at the high school level, winning 15 or 20 games, you, you can play around with your schedule to do that. So when you, when you talk about winning and losing, I think about it as a postseason type thing because we've only had one season where we did not win 20 games 
Uh, and but we've we've also played a tough schedule, so I didn't want to be that coach that played a weak schedule. I always wanted to think about winning and losing from the terms of how how are we doing in the postseason when it came to competition. And we did, you know, the first five years, we we had teams that could have won the region, but we fell short. And there was a lot of pain in that as a as a new coach. Your question, like, what am I doing wrong? How do how do I build our team in a better way, you know, because we were successful in winning games and winning games against great competition, but we weren't able to get over that hump when it came to the regional tournament. And our first regional championship was in 2015. And since then we've won three out of the last five, but it was a journey to get through that, uh, that postseason uh, lump. And as a coach internalizing that, you know, you bear the weight of that and figure it out. What do I? What do I have to do better uh, to get our team there? See, Chris, that when I say, did you have to lose with your team before you win with your team? A lot of people automatically go to, yeah, I had a season where I went four and twenty-two. No, that's not what it means. You you were winning more games than you were losing um, substantially. I mean, you've always won. You just said you you've always won over twenty games, but those losses. In, in that postseason, in those postseason play games, that's where you know your kids have got to learn what it tastes like, what it feels like, what it looks like, um, so they can reflect back and say, "Okay, I'm not going to do that again." So I'm going to do this every day in practice, so I don't have to do that again. And that's what I mean. Uh, and, and so you you have lost with your team in, in order to win with your team. In that very way, you know, you lost those close games, those really meaningful games in the postseason, and now you've won three of the last five regional championships uh, to go to the state tournament in Rupp Arena. Um, so we all have those cycles as we build programs. And you know, here for me, Chris, my first year as a high school coach was was two seasons ago, the eighteen nineteen season. And we rolled into the Sweet 16 with uh, a record of one win. We had one win more than, more than our losses. You know, we were barely over 500. And most of the season, we, we had a losing record. But eventually, you get it figured out. And your kids, you know, learn what not to do as, as, as much as they learn what to do. And we all have those phases. So it's interesting when I ask that question to coaches to hear what that looked like for them. Um, may, let me transition here to something else. What is the – and you sort of already answered this, but, again, what's the one thing that you love about coaching basketball at Collins High School? You know, the community at Shelby – I would say the community. Shelbyville embraces success of kids. You know, they – when Davion won Mr. Basketball, you rode through Main Street and there's banners everywhere. The, the judge honored him with the Davion McKnight Day – um, you know, when, when the community values kids and, and that's not just athletics, you know, that is kids that get AC, high ACT scores, you know, our elementary principals do an incredible job of, of embracing their kids' successes and celebrating that. And when your community does that, it really, it really has the kids grow into 
being loyal to the community, being loyal to the school. You know, we've had kids, you know, you think about a Davion McKnight or Marcellus Bell. Those kids were pretty good coming in their freshman year and were probably pulled and tugged some by other schools to, to transfer. Yeah, and coaches listening, um, Marcellus is a freshman at Samford down in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and Davion is a freshman at Western Kentucky University. Correct, Chris? Yes. All right. Well, on that note, you know, those kids become adopted, you know, um, by your community. And, I mean, we've seen that. And, and your community, there's a difference between a community being interested in their Friday night basketball games and a community being invested in their Friday night basketball games. And it sounds like your community is invested. So you had two mid-major Division One signees on last year's team. You had to put a lot into building your team over the years to coach last year's team. I mean, we've just sort of talked about your journey. Now those guys are gone, and I, and I know you've got some young talent coming up, but there's no Davion McKnight or Marcellus on your roster this year, I'm assuming. Um, so what have you learned about program building in the past that you're going to um, replicate going forward with this year's team? Yeah, so – you know, for me, for me, I think the key word for me is sustained success. I uh, I remember after we won our regional championship in 2015, the following year was the year we dropped and didn't win 20, 20 games. We, we, we still had a chance. We made it to the semifinals of the region. We had one of our best players get hurt. But that, that year kind of, for me, made me question, like, what do we have to do to sustain success? And I, I really think, you know, when you look across the sports world, you look at Duke and what Coach K has done, you look at programs like Kentucky or you go to the NFL and look at Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Even with roster changeovers, those those guys have been able to, to maintain a level of success, sustain it, and then build upon it. And so for us – for us, a lot of it is in our off-season uh, work. It's in player development. It's in uh, it's in the wow factors of our program fundraising. And so for so for us, we want we want to approach and have the same goals every season. We don't we don't want to we don't want to say we lost Davion McKnight and Marcellus Bell. And, and four other seniors, so we're going to have a down year. We want to know and come into our season and approach approach it with consistency of what we did previous year. So describe your team's calendar. You know, break it down. Um, let's start August, beginning of school, and then take us through July the following, following year. What's, what's your calendar look like? So for us, typically July and August – um, those two kind of coexist. We just do weights and conditioning. Um, we want we want our kids to be able to transition into the school year with with limited stressors, you know. And if we're trying to coach them heavy uh, in August, that can that can put a stressor on them that can can kind of hurt them academically. So we want them to focus on academics more than anything approaching the new school year. And then a- after Labor Day, you know, when they when they've got four weeks or so under their belt in the classroom after labor day is when we, we really pick things up. We start going four days a week. We do two, six AMs uh, a week and then two, two afternoon sessions uh, a week. 
But September, September for us is just a heavy, heavy skill and, and fundamental uh, month for us. We want, you know, our kids have spent all summer, all summer working on their game, you know, things that they want to get better at. And so for, for us in September, now we want them to bring them back into what, what, what's our team fundamentals look like? What are some expectations that we have as a team and some characteristics that we want to, to have offensively and defensively. And most of that's done through skill work. Um, October 15th, you know, is our, is our first official day of practice in Kentucky. So, you know, we, we will usually add that fifth day uh, of workouts starting in October. Um, but, we're we're really trying to build our team then like how do we want to play defense together as a team how what what is our offense going to look like zone offense we're starting to build all those concepts obviously october through november um you know one of the things that i've done recently is i usually try to load up heavy on, on the on the schedule early in the season because I think the excitement, the excitement of, of entering a new season, kids usually don't get fatigued playing three games in one week early in the season. But then, then around Christmas, around Christmas and in in late January, I always like to have four days of nothing but practices in a row just so we can start focusing on uh, things we need to improve on. And, and that's another reason why I like to play three games a week early in a season because those games can really expose your team to weaknesses that you're not seeing in practice and playing against your, each other every day. Uh, and so that gives us kind of a blueprint of when we have these four extended days, what is our main focus going to be? Uh, and then as we, as we start winding down our season – to keep our bodies and our minds fresh, we don't we don't want to play more than two games in a week. We want, and then we, we will also cut practice down to about an hour, an hour and a half. So in February, you're only playing two games a week in, in your ideal schedule. Yeah, in my ideal schedule, so occasionally that third game may be sprinkled in there, but out of the last four weeks of the season, maybe one week we're playing three games in a week. Okay, so Chris, you have postseason in March. And then, what do you what do you do with your team immediately after your season is concluded? Let's say, let's say the state tournament is boom done finished. Now, now, now what do you do? Now, obviously, we try to have a banquet before um, a team banquet before spring break. We we try to get our exit interviews out of the way before spring break, and then you know we we won't do anything until after spring break, um, and then. And then we'll come in and we'll do light lifting, light conditioning, let the kids play pickup basketball up until mid-May. And when when mid-May gets here, you know, in high school in Kentucky, we get to have uh, 25, 30 games in June, the first three weeks of June. And so mid-May, we would be trying to uh, take our new roster, so to speak, and develop those kids and, and build some chemistry into into a team and go play in June. Uh, in June, June for me is really important. I, di- I didn't realize that until the COVID came and we didn't get to have June basketball. <laughs> but when, when you lose such an incredible amount of talent, 
you you want to play in June because because for me I, I usually we play those thirty games in June and then take off in July and I go on vacation and I I, I just forgot how much time I spent on vacation evaluating our players and our team from the June games. And it, it kind of sets a blueprint for me on what we need to work on approaching a new season. Right. Right. Now, Chris, last year you had two really good players. One of them was Kentucky's Mr. Basketball. What did you learn about coaching your best player? You know, for me, Davion McKnight was the ultimate Mr. Basketball Uh it was it was incredible to have a kid with that much talent, but that coachable, that hardworking, that dedicated, and that loyalty. You know, when we coach our best players, we we coach them just like we do the last guy on the bench. You know, um, entitled entitlement erases respect and hard work usually, and so we want to erase an entitled mindset. And so our our best players will have the same expectations as our last guy on the bench with their behavior, with their classwork, with in, in regards to in-game adjustments. Um, I remember a story last year. We're approaching September, and, you know, what we're usually trying to pinpoint fundamentals that kids need to work on. And I think the first week in September, we we came in working on two-foot jump stops and, and finishing above our head. And – and so usually whatever we're working on that week, we will give them parameters when they're playing pickup. So we gave our team parameters. Listen, you're, you're only allowed to shoot shots that are around the rim, a two-foot high finish around the rim, or you can shoot a catch-and-shoot three. You know, and here I have a Division One player that uh, is could obviously come in and do Euro steps. He's been working on them all summer. Um, but he understands that, for our team to be successful, um, there's going to be some expectations that everyone has to have. And we had another player in that first week that that was struggling with some of those expectations. And that that player came in and said, Coach, I averaged 25 a game doing it my way in AAU. So what, instead of reacting to that as a coach because my best player – was a high character kid. I was easily able to just point to my two division one players and say, these guys are more than capable of doing all these other moves, but look at their buy-in, look at their coachability, look at their accountability, look at their humility. Right. And, you know, that was, that was incredible to be able to coach a mess for basketball that was above, above the basketball talent. You know, and one of the things I've learned as a, I, I, as a high school coach, you, you do it in college as well. But I, I don't want to spend time explaining why it's different. But in high school, Chris, let's say you got a freshman player, 14-year-old kid who comes in late for a Saturday afternoon practice with his freshman team. I've learned that you've got to deal with that in the same exact manner as you would if Davion McKnight came in late for one of your practices on a Saturday afternoon on the varsity team. And because 
everybody notices how you handle the big things as well as the little things. And if your best player sees how you're how you're handling that 14-year-old freshman team only player for being late to practice and that 14-year-old that uh, that 14-year-old freshman only team player sees how you're handling Davion McKnight and they see that they're matching up, they're consistent. Uh, I think your locker room culture becomes really strong. And um, I think, I don't want to say a lot of coaches. I've seen coaches uh, create a different room, if you will, for these two or three guys and then the room over here for everybody else. And when when I say room, I mean we'll handle when you mess up over here in this room. But if you're in this room over here, guys, we're going to handle it this way. And there, there creates a divide when you do that. And it's sometimes a, a, it's an unspoken divide. It's, you know, no one wants to address the 800-pound gorilla that's in the locker room. Um, and that that's going to cost you a championship. So I think it's very important to handle the smallest of details with a kid who may not even play but one year of high school basketball for you. You handle his situations just the same as you would handle Davion McKnight from a discipline standpoint, from a um, work ethic standpoint, um, you know, not necessarily a playing time standpoint, but all those moments, those those like you had exit interviews. You know, you need to be as on spot and prepared for, for the exit interview with that 14-year-old freshman team only player as you are with Davion. You know, um, I, I, I just think that creates consistency in your locker room and that helps your culture. Hey, yeah, and talk I, to us about – Say that, say that again. I said, yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, that, that goes back to a lot of those program-building things that we discussed earlier. And, like, if you take a guy like Davion McKnight, it's incredible to realize that he, in four years of being in our program, never missed a practice, never was late to a practice, never missed, never set out a drill. And what happens, what happens and is often missed is – that creates a culture of sustained success for your program. I think I think some of our like our first regional championship team, I think they won the region because in the in the year the year before them we were actually a better team. But that senior class in 2014 set a tone and a culture of expectations that bled into our 2015 team. And I, that that's the one thing I hate about sports is sometimes the team, the team that set that tone and set, set the culture expectations. Sometimes they don't reach the top of the mountain, but they were a huge reason why the next team did. All right, Chris, we're going to um, go through three or four items here um, pretty quickly. Number one, Talk to us about fundraising. What's what works for you um, in raising money for your program? Well, I would have to say that you have to have a why in fundraising. If you don't, I've seen a lot of people just fail at fundraising, trying to do the same things. But if they don't have a why, like if it's not meaningful to them, they won't be successful. For us, we want a championship level program. We want our kids to feel special. So for us, we want them to have nice things, be treated nice when they're traveling. Um, so what we do is, you know, it's very simple for us. We have a golf scramble, we have summer camps, summer tournaments, and then we sell advertisement banners. And then 
I'll just I'll just make it as simple as possible. We will raise enough money to where our director of operations, when he starts the year, who doesn't he does an incredible job. Kevin Purdue is the best best director of operations in the in the country, I would say. But our job is just to empower him to where he never has to come back and says and say we don't have enough money. If he said if he says that if he ever says that then we have failed. So we just want to make sure we have the procedures in place. But I think the most important thing is why you're fundraising. You know, we've all been a part of those programs that, you know, give you when their players are being fed, you either have been fed in a nice restaurant or they're getting McChickens at McDonald's for lunch, you know. And so Wendy's four for four. Yes. Um and and, I, and there's a time for that, obviously. But, uh, yes, there is. But for the most for the most part, we want our kids to feel like they're champions. Yeah, uh, not, not entitled in any way, but they're just champions, and we're yep. going to take take care of them. All right. Second thing, parents. How do you integrate parents into your program? You know, we obviously have the typical parent meeting. They volunteer for gates and sessions. You know, we communicate via an email or an app. You know, but. I think two of the biggest things that we've done for us is so like senior night for us, we, we feed our, we have a huge potluck meal after uh, our senior night game. We'll come into our school cafeteria and all of our underclassmen parents are included in making this potluck meal to celebrate our seniors. That's probably been one of the greatest traditions we've had in, in, in including our parents. And then I, I think a good time to include them is summer basketball. You know, you're usually not setting a, a ton of expectations on kids during the summer. And and as a coach, uh, sometimes I'll let my assistant coaches coach our team. So when our parents are working summer gates and, and volunteering in different areas, you know, trying to have conversations with them during that time. Because because most of the time kids are playing, you're not you're not scaling back uh, the rotation and the minutes. So most of the time kids are playing on that certain level, and so using that summertime as a relationship building. Right. All right. Let's um, let's move to this one right here. Staffing. How do you? What are your thoughts on staff? On how do you build your staff in high school? We could say one thing. But we also have that reality where sometimes we don't have a lot of options. But what are some non-negotiables with you as far as who you hire on your staff, how you develop coaches on your staff? How do you approach staffing? Well, I think, number one, you have to understand your personality as a head coach. So, like, what is your strengths? What do you need? What are your weaknesses? And so then try, trying to fill a fill your staff with what you need. I was a, I was a young head coach, and so for me it was very valuable – to have a guy like Duke Combs on my staff, right? When I was a when I was a first year head coach, he he brought head coaching experience. He knew how to handle parents, and he had so much wisdom, like just sayings that he would say over those first five years. That as a head coach, I didn't have all that, but I learned so much from him in knowing that. You know, uh, so so for me, I always want an older and wiser guy that can give good constructive feedback that that has handled situations that you may not have been involved with yet as a coach. Uh, I think that was really important for me 
Um, you obviously want diverse thinking. You don't want a lot of yes. I don't want a lot of yes people. I want guys that I want guys that can come in and say, "How how can we improve this?" Like, obviously, you're going to have those young coaches that come in sometimes and say, "Well, we shouldn't run this offense. We should run that offense." And that that never works. It, it seems like so trying to get those those guys to be able to come in and say, how how do how can we embrace what we're doing but improve it? How can they take ownership in improving what we're doing as a team? I think sometimes you get caught in a rut uh, as a head coach, especially in practices. You, you you begin to believe that we have to do this because it's a non negotiable. I've all you do it because you've always done it. And I think one of the best, best practice roles an assistant coach has is to challenge why you're doing what you're doing in practice. Um, I, I know that's helpful to me. Do you? Um, what's the one thing that you would tell a young freshman high school coach entering high school coaching for the first time? I would tell them to find what, find ways to take ownership and responsibility. You know, a lot of guys come in and they – you know, the head coach obviously most of the time is the loudest voice, or maybe you have an extra, you have another assistant coach, and those two are the lead voices. So a lot of times, a new coach comes in and and is always sitting in the background. And so find ways to take responsibility, whether that's you know the head coach just gave instruction for a drill, pick two players, pick two players to go and and disciple them through that drill. Um, go seek out the coach. Like, hey, I, I really like this defensive drill. Do you mind if I do you mind if I run that the next uh, the next practice uh, and and take lead in that? See, Chris, I think you know I, I'm 44. How old are you now, Chris? 36. Yeah, so I'm 44, and I definitely don't have all the answers. Everybody on my staff will tell you I don't have all the answers. Um, but now I am, I, I want youth on my staff. Matter of fact, we've got two, two guys, uh, that just joined our staff, um, that are both under the age of 25 that both could play, can still play, can still get out and demonstrate. Um, you know, literally to the point where I could say, this is what I want done. Brandon, show them how to do this, you know, <laughs> because Lord knows I can't. Um, so I like the youth on the staff. And then the, the the thing I would add to what you just said about, you know, advice you give to a young coach. I don't ever want our sport to get to the point where coaches don't understand X's and O's. And one of my fears is that we're sort of getting that way um, where you're a coach because you have great relationship with your players and um, everybody likes you. But you're down one with seven seconds to go on a side OB, and they're in a, they come out in a zone. What do you What are you doing? You know, um, I, I want coaches who study the game. I want coaches who want to learn what Milwaukee did um, against the Clippers on Tuesday night on TNT. You know, and so I, I want my young coaches to scout their tails off because that's one of the best ways for them to learn basketball. Is through sitting up in the bleachers with a Diet Coke and a popcorn and a yellow legal pad, scratching stuff off, you know, and, and writing and plays and diagrams and getting it wrong and then seeing film and correcting themselves. And um, I think that's invaluable. And so I like the youth component now as I get on. And I'm, and I'm curious as to when you're 44, 
if you'll transition to sort of that as well. It's interesting. You know, I, ha- I have transitioned the last two or three years, but I still feel like I'm at an age where I need both. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, Bla- Blake Trailer was an incredible young assistant coach for me. And uh, and that that brought value there. And then he he just taken a new job, and I, I've replaced him with a former player, Brent Kidwell, who is a great point guard for me. And so I think I'm getting there in my in my coaching uh, career. Uh, but I still like to have that that older, wiser guy. And I think I would I would I would end the advice with a uh, a freshman coach or a younger guy in telling them that. There's a lot of value that you can bring to a program that isn't basketball related, like filling up a water cooler if that's a need. You know, I talk about our director of operations all the time. Like he's a program enhancer and does nothing for our program in between the basketball lines. He enhances our program probably more so than I that's a Never great takeaway, man, having a director of operations, Chris. That's a great takeaway. That's one of my takeaways from our, our, our discussion today. I got one, one question, Chris, and then I'm going um, to let us go here. Who are your mentors in coaching? You know, obviously I've had a great tree of, of programs that I've been a part of. You know, when I was in high school, Todd Johnston was an incredible high school coach. You know, then John Cheney and Happy Osborne, and then I, you know, under you, you know, sometimes we, sometimes we point to the head coach, but a lot of times you learn, you learn more from the assistant coaches of programs you've been a part of. Uh, so obviously, I've learned a lot from the coaches that I, I've been under in their programs, playing, and then Mike Clark and Curtis Turley. I learned a lot about them of running a program from those guys as a uh, as a young assistant coach. You know, I, I'm at a point now to where, you know, when I get to have conversations with you or Chris Renner at Ballard or Mike Zo- Mike Zabo, I had a meeting with him three three or four years ago, that that was just incredible of sitting and talking to him about defense and and program stuff. Um, For you know, those so, listening, Zabo is the uh, head coach at Louisville Trinity. Yeah, and so you know that that's the thing I think when you're thinking about mentoring is each year you can find something to grow in. And so you have to have those guys you can bounce off of. Obviously you can, obviously you can look at at the pro sports or college sports and find guys you want to emulate. I always have people that I want to emulate, but then who can, who can I talk to over the phone or email back and forth? You know, last year when we won last year, when we won the regional championship, I emailed Mike Zabo right away and 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 said, you know what? I've never won a state championship. I don't know what I don't know what I need to do as far as what does our time need to look up look at at Rep Arena? What does our practice time need to look at? And so I had him email me his schedule, how their scouting reports look like, because he he's won the state championship two or three times. And so even the little things like what does a champion schedule look like? I, I want to learn that stuff, and uh, and then you can also learn from younger guys that can remind you of what what it was like to be that eager young head coach. And so those guys are all around, and I'm thankful that the state of Kentucky coaches the coaching network is really incredible uh, just to bounce things off of each other. Yeah. 
Chris, this was a great time. Um, I know that I have more than one takeaway to make our program better tomorrow than it was today. And um, I can't wait to get the responses from coaches uh, about our discussion today. Thank you so much for coming on the CoachMaze.com podcast. And I wish you nothing but the best with the exception if we play each other this year in the Ashland Invitational Tournament. So, <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, my other staff. You know, I, I've got a, a great loyal guy in Tim Pardee that's been with me yes, you since, since I've been here. You know, he was a, he was a longtime middle school coach for our, for our uh, program, uh, for our community. And so whenever you're able to bring a guy like Tim Pardee with the wealth of knowledge on, that helps. And then, you know, I've got a, I've got a – a young guy and Brian Wright. I, I call him young. He's actually older than me, but he's a newer coach. Um, and so, any anytime you can honor your staff and mention them, you know, take those opportunities. Well, you're, because- you're, you're moving guys on to head coaching positions, so you're doing it right. But Chris, thanks for our time today, and um, uh, listeners. Again, Chris Gaither, head coach at uh, Martha Lane Collins High School in Shelbyville, Kentucky. Shelbyville is located. Uh, almost halfway between Lexington and Louisville, Kentucky, on Interstate 64, and one of the bright young coaches in our game, um, and uh, just just a, a wealth of knowledge already at, at a young age. Chris, thank you, and um, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the CoachMaze.com podcast. 